Welcome to the A Different Kind of Psychiatry podcast brought to you by the ACO. I'm Dr. Chris Burrett. Each month, we feature a case presentation, interview, or discussion by one or more of our doctors who practice a different kind of psychiatry. We're interested in your questions and comments, and I would love to hear your feedback. Send an email to aco at organomy.org. The best way to help the American College of Ergonomy spread its knowledge is by letting others know about us. If you enjoy the podcast, we'd appreciate you leaving a rating and review. If you're interested in attending one of our webinar presentations, you can meet the doctors and join in on the discussion afterwards. If you're interested in training with the ACO, you can learn more about the medical ergonomy therapy or social ergonomy training programs. You can connect with us and learn more at ergonomy.org or a different kind of psychiatry.com. This episode features the audio from one of our ACL case presentation webinars. Dr. Howard Chavis tells Dr. Christ about several of his elderly patients and how medical organ therapy can help patients at any age lead a more fulfilling life. Hello, I'm Dr. Peter Chris. And I'm here today to host the latest in the ACOs, a different kind of psychiatry case webinar uh, series. And today we're going to hear about treating the elderly. It's never too late to start a medical organ therapy with Dr. Howard Chavis. And I want to welcome all of you from around the world, from uh, this country. And now a few words about our presenter. Uh, Dr. Chavis is in uh, practice in psychiatry, treating adults and children in Manhattan and Scarsdale, New York. He's board certified in psychiatry and medical organ therapy. And last year, Dr. Chavis uh, became the editor of the Journal of Organomy. So uh, as you did back when we talked back in December at that webinar, Dr. Chavis, you're, you've decided to present a number of different people instead of just one uh, case that you've worked with, uh, and this time about treating the elderly. So uh, tell me and the audience something about why you decided to talk about this topic and these particular people. Yes, first, uh, hello, Dr. Christ, and hello, members of our audience. It's a pleasure to be here today. The uh, uh, question how I chose this particular topic, treating the elderly, uh, is, is uh, the answer is quite simple. I happen to like old folks. <laughs> I always have um, senior citizens. Sometimes they're called seasoned uh, citizens. But I remember uh, uh, as a young lad growing up in Brooklyn, New York, living in an apartment building, my walking across the hall, knocking on the door to say hello to Mrs. Terrell. Uh, she lived alone. She was probably in her early 80s. Uh, and I would uh, uh, join her in conversation. She'd be sitting in an antique rocker, rocking chair. She was obviously from uh, New England. And I have no, no recollection of what we talked about, except that it was actually thoroughly enjoyable. I do remember she talked about her son who was in the Air Force. Mm. Also, uh, I remember during my medical internship, one early morning, I admitted a patient. I took a history, did a physical exam. And uh, then I just, I sat there uh, by the light of the lamp on the bedside uh, table, just chatting, talking with this uh, uh, elderly uh, uh, patient and thinking, 
that I'm so lucky to be in this position as a physician, being able to have just, just chat, just talk with this, this older person and a similar experience um, many, many times uh, in my work as a psychiatrist uh, with hospitalized medically ill patients, some of whom were uh, older, uh, as well as treating individual patients in, in, in my uh, practice. It, it strikes me, um, uh, just now struck me how this is actually part of the whole story of what we have to tell as medical ergonomists is something you loved in your childhood has carried through as just a, a part of your, your basic uh, healthy nature to give you satisfaction for years and years. I don't know, but it just hit me, so yeah. Yes, precisely, yeah. precisely. As for the uh, particular patients mm -hmm. I'll discuss today, and I saw these patients before the current uh, COVID-19 pandemic, they and their treatment illustrate what is fundamental to medical orgone therapy. That is emotional contact, it's depth and breath, uh, and the knowledge of human armor and how it affects the individual informs what I do, informs mm -hmm. how I can help people lead a fuller life, even in the later, uh, stages of, of their of their life. Mm -hmm. So with that as an intro, I'll start with patient number one. Good, good. Yeah, let's hear. Okay. So Helen is a 71 was a 71 year old woman who was referred to me by her pulmonologist mm -hmm. uh, uh, who's treating her for advanced emphysema. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, she was sent to me uh, uh, because she had panic attacks. And he treated her with Elevil, a tricyclic antidepressant, which was a treatment back then. And she was on a whopping dose of this medication, which did not provide her with very much relief. So when I saw her, as she came into my office, uh, she was a sight to behold. Uh, she was tall. She walked in a robotic fashion. And her makeup was absolutely bizarre. It looked like she had applied it with a spatula. That's how thick it was. Mm -hmm. And she talked with a, uh, in a robotic way, just like she walked. She trailed a, uh, an oxygen, a small oxygen tank behind her with na uh, a nasal cannula to deliver the, the oxygen. Now, uh, uh, I was thinking because I knew uh, that she came to me for the treatment of, of panic attacks uh, as a medical ergonomist, I know that panic uh, uh, occurs when intense emotion held in the chest either tries to break through the muscular armor, the muscular rigidity in the chest, or that it actually breaks through. Mm -hmm. So I had an idea what, how, how, what I was going to do, how I was going to help her. But in terms of her bizarre appearance, I had no idea if this was the result of these high, the high dose of Elevil she was taking daily, or whether this was her, her, her baseline, that this was, was her. Mm -hmm. So I explained to her what I wanted to do, that I was going to work physically with her. This was not going to be, you know, a 10-year analytic, character analytic uh, treatment. Um, and she agreed to allow me to work physically uh, with her. So uh, on the couch, 
I, I had her turn over on her belly and I worked a little bit on the back of her neck, which was, which was tense. And uh, I encouraged her to let out some sound, which she did. I then had her turn over and uh, uh, I, I pressed on, on her chest. I, I actually, it almost looks a little bit like CPR. I'm going like this to her, to her chest between her, between her breasts and I press gently at first, and some sound came out. I wanted to introduce her to this kind of treatment, so I was not about to do very much more than that. Well, uh, the session was over. Uh, she came back the following week, and sure enough, she actually did not have a panic attack that uh, during that week, which is extraordinary. Yeah. yeah. Um, absolutely extraordinary. So... With that, uh, uh, you know, with, with that, I was able to work a bit more vigorously on the front of her chest and also on her neck, uh, which was tense, and more sound came out, this time with a little bit more emotion. There was some fear, uh, mostly, and maybe a, a tinge or a little touch of, uh, uh, of, of anger. Mm -hmm. uh, with that, and the fact that she did not have a, a panic attack that previous week, I began to slowly taper her medication, taper the Aligo, very, very gradually. Um, and so I saw her week after week. I was working more vigorously on the front of her, uh, the anterior aspect or part of her chest. And more and more emotion came out, more intense fear uh, came out. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, the fact is, is that she had advanced emphysema and an emphysema patient has a hyperextended or hyperexpanded chest. That's the nature of the illness. So I knew I was not going to change that, but what I was addressing was whatever uh, chronic muscular armor uh, she had. Mm -hmm. And uh, 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 she didn't stop smoking. <laughs> Certainly, you know. Uh, and the reason that I say that and the reason I'm chuckling is that uh, even though her makeup went, you know, she stopped looking bizarre. She was certainly a lot more appropriate uh, in her, uh, uh, in how she looked, but also that robotic quality to her speech and her walk totally disappeared. So how, how do you understand that? What was it that, that um, was causing that bizarre appearance and the robotic thing that, that got overcome? Yeah, I think it was the Elevil. I think she was on a huge dose of Elevil, and I think it was a side effect. And wow. the physician who prescribed that, her pulmonologist, was doing what he knew how to do, which was to prescribe medication. And that was a standard treatment for panic attack mm -hmm. back in the day. Mm -hmm. and so here, you know, this bizarre character disappeared, but what emerged was her. Uh -huh. She was a character. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <And> I, again, <laughs> I chuckle because here's this Brooklyn lady who loves to gamble. Mm -hmm. She loved to gamble. She played uh, Mahjong. She played uh, uh, Canasta. She played maybe Pinochle, whatever it was, with her girlfriends. And it was all for money. She uh -huh. always gambled. And up until the time that her advanced emphysema prevented her from traveling, She'd be traveling down to Atlantic City at least twice a week to uh -huh. gamble in the casinos. 
So here I am treating this woman and she had a Brooklyn accent, like right out of the movies. Uh-huh. And it was, it was, it was incredible uh, that she, she emerged mm-hmm. and that's the nature of, of, of medical organ therapy treatment, because what you see is more and more of the quote unquote real person. Yeah. Uh, once you alleviate armor, uh, that that begins to emerge. Yeah, yeah. Well, as, as I always go, often so often go back to you know the three layers: the nature, the character, and the personality. So it's like um, you help uh, uh, get rid of the superficial facade, and then more of her character came out, and then underlying that, more of the things that give her pleasure and, and her nature. So right. yes. the other thing that strikes me, just to underscore. Uh, the the definition that that I have found so useful in in ergonomy about anxiety, it's what we feel when an impulse does not have a satisfying outlet. So if that builds up and builds up, the person is going to get to the point where they go into a panic attack. And you allowed those impulses to come out, so it drained the energy out of the the panic and out of the anxiety. And it's just such a wonderful example of the work yeah. that you do and that we do as ergonomists. Yes. Yeah. Are you ready for patient number two? I'm ready. Yep. <laughs> Are you ready? <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> Good. So Barbara is a 90-year-old widowed woman who lives alone. Mm-hmm. And she was referred to me for depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. And over the course of my treatment of her, which was sitting up, uh, my emotional uh, contact with her allowed her to uh, uh, expand. Mm-hmm. And what that means is that at first uh, she was uh, in talking about her past life and her present life. Mm-hmm. Uh, it came out in a complaining fashion, but gradually uh, uh, this complaining quality turned to actual uh, uh, expression of uh, not actual expression, but expression of actual emotion. Mm-hmm. So that was so that was what what she talked about in terms of her, uh, her daughter and her relationship with her daughter in years past. She was complaining uh, just how frustrating it was, mm-hmm. and she also talked about uh, just how uh, unsatisfying her marriage uh, had been, mm-hmm. and that uh, her husband uh, had not really contributed to uh, uh, raising their their daughter. And that complaining quality turned to actual anger. And with that, uh, her depression lifted. Uh, What she came to feel and see mm -hmm. was that she actually was sad and lonely. Uh That her social existence had shrunk. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Friends had died um, and uh, that she lived alone. Mm -hmm. And so... uh, uh, it was it was a painful existence, and then she was she was able to express this and and to and to stand it, and and she cried. Uh-huh. That provided her with relief. Yeah. Uh, at one point, uh, in talking about uh, the fact that she did not miss her husband, who had died years before, uh, she told me, she said, "But I do miss the touch of a man. I do miss a man's touch." Wow. And then she said to me, can I hug you? Uh, With that, I stood up, 
Mm-hmm. I stretched out my arms. Mm-hmm. She came into my arms mm-hmm. and I held her. Mm-hmm. I hugged her. Mm-hmm. Now this was far more than just a hug. Yeah. I was providing for her something she longed for for her entire life. Yeah. Yeah. And that was acceptance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this was huge. Yes. Yeah. This wow. was huge. Mm-hmm. And that was, that basically encompasses how, how, how I helped her. I mean, it's a, again, such a great example of not following any particular rules, but just seeing what the patient truly needs on their healthy level, getting rid of the stuff in the way and, and allowing them to you know, come out with who they genuinely are. That's wonderful. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Yes. Thank you. The next patient is Rose. I met Rose when she was 86 years old in the intensive care unit uh, 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 in the hospital. And I was asked to see her because following a a heart attack, she was depressed. Mm -hmm. And when I saw her in the hospital, she was afraid that her independent existence, because she was totally independent, was going to be compromised by her cardiac condition. Mm. Well, I provided a perspective for her. And I said, we don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, people have heart attacks and they go back to living exactly how they, they lived before. And that rather than jump to the conclusion that you're going to be, you're going to be incapacitated, let's, let's see. Well, the long and the short of it is that she came to see me every single week. Wow for the next four years. Okay, great. Here's, here's this woman who, maybe she was 5'2", maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 she was certainly not frail, but she was, uh, let's say, thin, on the thin side. Mm-hmm. Um, and she came to me every single week, whether it was raining, whether it was snowing, whether there was ice on the ground, whether it was 95 degrees in the summer, um, and she was, she was just absolutely incredible. And there again, the emotional contact and the depth of contact was profound. Mm-hmm. And she talked about her life. Here she's in her, you know, her later 80s. Right. And she's telling me about a blind date she went on <laughs> <laughs> when she was 16. Uh-huh. She's told me, she said, the instant I saw him, uh, I saw how short he was, and I knew he wasn't for me. Sh- she said, I'd have to shake out the sheets to find him. <laughs> she also told me the following true story. Mm-hmm. She said she was talking with a guy, and somehow the conversation, and uh, she, uh, they were talking, the conversation turned to sex. Mm-hmm. So she said to him, or she asked him, how often do you have sex? And this is characteristic of her. She was bold. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, um, uh, so uh, uh, he said infrequently, and her response is that one word or two. <laughs> infrequently or infrequently. <laughs> so, she was naughty. She yeah. was naughty. It was yeah. absolutely a delight. Yeah. So she also had a tendency to be harsh with herself, to be hard on herself. Mm -hmm. And one day she comes in and during a session, she tells me that 
She was taking a shower and she looked down at her body. And here she is in her late 80s. Mm-hmm. And she looked down at her body and she, her response was, ugh, this is what she said. So I said, and what about your legs? <laughs> and she laughed because she had gorgeous legs. <laughs> uh-huh. Great. And that was great. Another time, uh, she came in upset with herself. She told me, all I do is sit on the edge of my sofa, watch TV, and eat cake. Mm-hmm. Okay? So the session goes by, and at the very end of the session, uncharacteristically, <laughs> she said to me, Dr. Chavis, what do you think I should do? This was like out of the blue. She had never. So this is what stumbled out of my mouth. I said, uh, I, I, I think you should go home and have a piece of cake. <laughs> she laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed. Yeah, talk about meeting people where they are. That's yeah. And this is, this is a reflection of emotional contact and mm-hmm. the depth of emotional contact that's possible. Yeah. And that's possible when armor does not interfere with the ability or the capacity to have an energetic connection, Mm -hmm. either with another person or a a work of art, whatever it happens to be. Mm -hmm. And this is crucial to understand that this is not a psychological process. It's not an intellectual process. It's energetic, it's Mm -hmm. energy. This Mm -hmm. is not mystical, this is real. And we know that with emotional contact, with that energetic contact, there's movement. Mm-hmm. And this is crucial in treatment mm-hmm. because what we do as medical ergonomists, we identify what interferes with, mm-hmm. uh, with, with movement. What are the obstacles? What's the armor? Whether mm-hmm. it's muscular or whether it's attitudinal, that's what we identify and address. Mm-hmm. And that uh, 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 eliminates or uh, alleviates the obstacle so that the person feels or is in contact with what, what they feel. That's true emotional contact. Right. And here I'm demonstrating through these cases, these patients, how emotional contact is absolutely a, such an essential part of uh, treatment in medical hormone therapy. Yeah. And in this case, you, you mentioned a specific aspect of her character, her being hard on herself. Yes. Uh, it sounds like that would get in the way of her expressing any emotions, her moving forward with whatever she wanted to do. So I just yeah. want to underscore is, is there's both the components, the muscular armor that you've talked about in some of the cases, but as you said, character attitudes, particular attitudes. So yeah. is there anything more to say about how that played out with her? Because um, I think a lot of people think, well, someone's character at the age of 80, you're not going to change it. But I don't have any doubt that you addressing that with her helped her make contact with herself in a better way. So Yeah, one correction, uh, Dr. Chris, yeah. she was in her, she came to me at 86, and I treated her for four years until she was 90. Okay. So in my own way, I was addressing her character. Yeah. But doing it in a, in a seemingly light way. Yes. And yes. this is also a crucial part of, uh, for, the, for me, or the, the medical ergonomist, uh, being uh, in emotional contact, yeah. that things are said, or ideas come out and are expressed by me mm-hmm. that seem to come out of nowhere. Yeah. But this is not magic. Right. They don't it's come out. Absolutely of not magic. It comes out of the emotional contact 
with with yeah. with, with with the patient. Yeah. So my stumbling out and saying, I, I think you should go home and eat a piece of cake. It's priceless. Yes. You know? yeah. And the fact that 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 I was giving her permission was exactly. addressing her tendency to be hard on herself. Exactly. To be well, great. Wonderful. Yeah. I, I just wanted to underscore yes, you know, the importance of these things, that, as you said, that seem like they come out of the blue. They're sort of a joke. They're light. But they're in the service of addressing the person's character, helping them overcome what's in the way and yes. coming out and expanding. So yes. great. Good. Right. So there's another patient, if we, can, if we can move on. Oh, yeah. And uh, this uh, patient's name was Hildy. And Hildy was uh, uh, an 80-year-old uh, uh, German retired bookkeeper who lived in her own apartment, but was admitted to the hospital after she fell and hit her head. Hmm. Uh, she was confused and disoriented as a result. And a CT, a CAT scan revealed what's called a subdural hematoma, which is a collection of blood under the dura, which is the lining covering the, uh, the brain. Mm -hmm. She was treated with steroids uh, and her confusion and disorientation resolved very nicely. Mm -hmm. However, she was refusing to eat or drink. Mm -hmm. So they asked me, the psychiatrist, to come see her. So uh, what I saw in this frail, uh, um, seemingly hear, hearing appeared, he, hearing impaired, elderly, uh, apathetic looking, depressed looking woman was what she said. She said, I want to die. I asked her other, a few other questions and she told me she felt a lump in her throat. Mm -hmm. So what I saw uh, was limited mobility of, of her jaw, uh, depressed, respirations, she barely breathed, and she had a lost look in, in, in her eyes, or to, to her eyes. So I let her know what I wanted to do, and I did the, with her consent, I did the following. With a cotton-tipped applicator, I induced gagging. Mm. I also pushed her, or moved her jaw forward, which elicited sobbing, crying, and her saying, Mama, Mama, oh. just like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How long was that? Was that physical or biophysical uh, treatment? Two minutes. Mm -hmm. Two minutes. Mm -hmm. Following the, that treatment, she asked for a drink of water, and that evening, she had her first meal. Wow. Weeks. Wow. So I saw her uh, daily for these brief sessions. Mm -hmm. Um, and that lost look, uh, and then involved gagging, mm -hmm. involved having her move her face and breathe, breathe more deeply. Mm -hmm. And I pushed her mandible, the lower jaw forward, mm -hmm. gently, but I did. Mm -hmm. This elicited uh, misery and despair uh, and increasingly uh, uh, anger as, as, as well. Mm -hmm. So the lost look in her eye disappeared. And oh. believe it or not, and this surprised the heck out of me, her hearing, which had seemed impaired, returned to normal. Wow. Yes, wow. incredible. Yeah. So that she was able to voice uh, some anger or frustration at the hospital routine 
although she was interacting more and very nicely with the hospital staff. She was also eating, you wow. know, yes. but she said, <laughs> I was overweight when I came in, <laughs> so I'm not going to put on all this weight. Uh-huh. You know? uh-huh. And, you know, she thanked me uh, after each session. Mm-hmm. She obviously looked forward to seeing me because these were daily treatments. And mm-hmm. how long was each treatment? You know, how long was my interaction? You know, maybe it was three or four or five minutes at the most. Mm-hmm. And I'm a friendly guy, so, you know, what can I say? <laughs> but she was also able to tell me she did not like the physical work that I did with her. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. At some point, she was discharged to a rehab ward or unit in a nursing home, mm-hmm. hopefully an interim, only an interim step before she returned to independent living in, in her own apartment. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a, a, a remarkable but a, a wonderful story. Uh, you know, and I, again, a couple of things that I, strike me about it is, again, two of the key tools we have is addressing the character and addressing the, the muscular armor. And with her, clearly, I mean, the, those expressions we have, somebody being choked up, clearly she was literally choked up. Once she could let the misery out, she didn't have to choke off the, the rage as, as much, and some of that could come out. And, you know, that, that then freed her up to both express herself, but also to have the impulse to eat again. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it, in some ways, it's so simple. Um, uh, and, and that's what makes it easy to get, as you said, mystical. You know, these are miracles. But, but if we really look at it, they are just simple, real phenomena about what people do with their energy and their emotions yes the, the other thing that I, that that I want to mention that, that strikes me is the change in her her hearing um, there the jaw and and the bones in in the inner ear come from the same uh, place embryologically and those embryological connections often have very real energetic connections so I don't quite understand but in some ways, there's something very important in, in just those observations that can help us look. So sometimes I think hearing can get blocked just from the person just clamping down. I mean, it's, yeah. again, a, a great observation and something worth uh, people following up and looking at other cases. So, yeah. So yeah, great. Thank you. So I'm sure you have an, another case or two. Well, do you want to hear my, about my oldest patient? Yes, that would be great. <laughs> I'm chuckling because my oldest patient was 102 years old. Uh-huh. And uh, 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 her son, who was only 75 or 76, asked the in, her, her internist uh, to send a psychiatrist to their home because he was concerned ab- about her. The son was concerned about her. So sure enough, I make a house call. And here's this older woman, and I do a, a brief consultation, and she's okay. You know, mm-hmm. there's no, uh, uh, there, I don't need to treat her. Let me rephrase. Uh-huh. Let, let me let me rephrase that. I can treat her, but this is not going to be a standard treatment. Uh-huh. So what did I what did I come up with? When I showed up at at their at their uh, apartment. Um, uh, I had the aide put music on, mm-hmm. on their, you know, their, uh, 
not loudspeaker, but you know, to play music. Yep. What did I do with this 102 year, year old woman, my patient? We danced. <laughs> Great. <laughs> and, 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 and that was, and that was the, uh, the treatment for her. Uh-huh. But what I did after I danced with her for a while was I then sat down with her son mm-hmm. who was in need of, of treatment. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And so I made house calls, you know, once a week mm-hmm. uh, for a period of time. And I helped both of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what gave you the sense that uh, putting the music on was the thing to do? It just, it just came to me. There's mm-hmm. another patient I treated uh, in the hospital uh, who was terminally ill with cancer. And she was so, uh, her energy level was so depleted that when I found out that she loved show tunes, she and I would sing show tunes. Uh-huh. She couldn't get out of bed, uh-huh. but she could, she was too weak, but we, 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 we sang show tunes. Uh-huh. So clearly the, the, the focus here is what will mobilize the patient. Yeah, well, and I, I would um, add to that, what is their natural impulse that's coming from their, their core, from their yes. healthy part of their nature? And, yes. and if you can sense that and, and tap into it, uh, that's, that's great. The, the only other thing I wanted to mention about that case is it, you, we don't have time for you to go in, into detail about it, I don't think, but just to underscore, there is the treatment of the individual, but then there's the treatment of the social setting. So you addressing his, her son is treating something in her social life that, that was, was essential. And, yes. and so, you know, and the ACO has training programs in medical or uh, organ therapy and a training program in social ergonomy, those two realms. Uh, right in that one case, you were addressing both of them. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So uh, um, I, I think this would be a good time to, to go to some questions and answers. But uh, before we do, um, is, is there anything that you could say about how treating the elderly differs from treating uh, younger patients? Well, or similarities? Uh, <laughs> well, the fact is, is that treating the elderly uh, brings up uh, issues that you don't necessarily see with younger people. Uh And that is the loneliness or the possible loneliness of old age. Uh And what that refers to is how friends, people, uh, uh, you know, friends who the person has known for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years die. And that, bereft feeling is so incredibly uh, profound. It can certainly tie in with with, uh, early life experience that are are awakened with Mm -hmm. the death of of someone close to them. It doesn't have to be a spouse. It could just be a friend. Um, But that's one that's one uh, uh, difference, the, the, the loneliness and the loss. But otherwise, it's very, very much the same. Uh-huh. We look at breathing, we look at, I look at uh, you know, where the person is holding back, whether it's in an attitude uh, or in, in, uh, in muscular armor. And I address what I see mm-hmm. and what's on the surface what uh-huh. needs to be uh, uh, addressed to help the person uh, 
to, uh, to basically to move, to make contact with how they're holding back, uh, that they're holding back, what they're holding back, and to release that so that they can express uh, what's actually going on inside them. Yeah, yeah, great. That, which is a good segue, I think, to one of our questions was, um, you both have probably had elderly patients. Sometimes they can be set in their ways. At least that's the stereotype. Has that ever gotten in the way of their therapy more than with younger folks? That's an excellent question. Um, now we're talking about me personally. <laughs> and what I'm saying is I have a sense of humor in case you haven't figured that out up till now, but it's very helpful to have a sense of humor uh, about people who are set in their ways. Mm -hmm. Because again, out of emotional contact, the deeper connection, energetic connection, it's possible to say things where that they're absolutely spontaneous mm -hmm. that seem to come out of nowhere, mm -hmm. you know, seemingly left field that absolutely apply. Again, I'm not looking to change a person, yeah. but to help them make contact with what's interfering mm -hmm. uh, with their own contact with themselves, what they're feeling and how they're living. Mm -hmm. You know, what I said in my introductory comments was to help people to have a fuller life, yeah. even yeah. In, in their later years. And that's what I do. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, uh, my experience is um, sometimes older people are much less rigid than younger people. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think it's just very individual from uh, person to person. But it, 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 it reminds me of something that, that struck me at one point, you know, that saying, you can't teach old dogs new tricks. The, the, sometimes the, the only thing that's harder than that is teaching young dogs old tricks. Um, <laughs> that some people, the young people can often get so set in their ways, they don't want to try something uh, new because it's, you know, too conservative or whatever, uh, however you want to put it. So, um, so one of, another question um, said, did you help patient number two with further sessions to help her with her loneliness and how? Well, the answer to that is that just by being available to her, I was helping her. Mm -hmm. Again, we're talking about emotional contact and the depth of emotional contact. Yeah. I mean, remember, you know, if you think of your own experience, that most interactions with people are, are superficial mm -hmm. and often uh, either frustrating uh, or lacking uh, significance. Mm -hmm. and here I am available, emotionally available. I don't have to say it. The mm -hmm. person feels it. Even if they're armored, they feel that there's something different. Yeah. And it's real. This yeah. is not intellectual. It actually is energetic. Mm -hmm. And my uh, being able to sustain that allows the person to expand mm -hmm. energetically, emotionally, but energetically. Yeah. And that's so real and so different that it's a takeaway for them. They can take it home. They can take mm -hmm. that uh, feeling home. And what I did in hugging her is so incredibly profound. It was so much more than a hug. She took a chance. Don't yeah. forget, she's from a different generation. And she said, can I hug you? Right. That's extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that 
um, which underscores uh, how important it is to pay attention to whether you're initiating something or the patient is initiating it. Sometimes we as a therapist have to be the one that initiates something, but in this situation, that might've been a mistake and you waited until she initiated it and then you could respond. So I, I think it, again, it underscores how you can't approach this mechanically. That's uh, not hugs are good, hugs are bad, or, you know, because that, that ties into one of the other questions was um, about that patient. When Dr. Chavis hugged the patient, were you worried about her transferring a romantic relationship onto you? No, not at all. Yeah. She, so, wanted, she wanted the touch of a man. I saw and felt nothing sexually. Let me, let me put it this way. Uh, uh, nothing overtly sexual, meaning it wasn't a come on in any, in, in any way. She just wanted to be held. She, she wanted to, she, the way she phrased it, she asked me if she could hug me. Yeah. And that was, uh, there was absolutely no, let me, re, have I re responded? Have I answered that accurately? I, I think so. Okay. Yeah, yeah, no. But again, it's um, uh, it's why one of our requirements for our training is the therapist to have their own therapy to yeah. be able to perceive clearly what's going on in us to know is that coming from me? Is it coming from them? Is this yeah. a neurotic reaction from the patient, or is it com coming from their core? Because yeah. if we can't differentiate what we call primary healthy impulses from secondary neurotic ones, we're not gonna be able to help the patient do that. So I, I think that case illustrates that, that very nicely. Yeah, yes. Uh, uh, one other question was, um, if the topic of death comes up working with an elderly patient, how do you handle it? It very much depends on the context yeah. and also uh, who is bringing this up because I can provide a few examples. Mm -hmm. uh, one example is from a patient uh, who I presented in this December, mm -hmm. uh, when she said, well, in the course of, of uh, her session, uh, uh, something like uh, maybe I have f five or 10 years left. Mm -hmm. uh, and she was clearly alluding to the fact that of a limited lifespan. So my response to her was, I said, it was come on, I said, you have to live to, to be at least 100. <laughs> and I said, and I knew this, uh, because I know she hated, she hates Trump. I said, you have to live to be at least 100 to get a congratulatory letter from the White House, not signed by Trump. <laughs> 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 and, she, and she laughed like crazy. Uh -huh. but, but, but the other point though is, is that there are times when death or the thought of death or feelings about death comes up and I'm able to be with the patient mm -hmm. just to stay with what they feel and not interfere. Mm -hmm. Because if my own, let's say, uh, a defensive reaction, not being able to tolerate the intensity of what they feel was to be funny or humorous or to treat it lightly, I would be interfering right. uh, with their treatment. Fortunately, I don't. I'm able to just be present to maintain mm -hmm. that emotional connection and to treat it uh, the, the, uh, as it should be treated, again, depending upon, uh, you know, what the context is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There, there was another um, 
question um, uh, sort of related to that. If therapy is about letting go, um, what about uh, people's sense of letting go in terms of death? So I, I think I think you may have already answered that, but it, it's it's interesting that two people raised a, a question about yeah with that. And again, the context is uh, letting go. Yeah. So the subject death can be talked about uh, 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 in regard to letting go and what their thoughts are, what the feeling is. Right. How does that register with them? When they're talking about this, mm -hmm. uh, what do they notice? What do they sense in themselves right. when they bring up the subject? I may not even directly re refer to death, but talk about the process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, you're also saying, uh, reminding me just sort of a sense that that I often have working with um, uh, elderly patients or older uh, patients that that um, in some ways the, their life experience allows it allows me to be much more open with them in a certain way. It's, it's like, you're not going to throw them off. They, they've seen it, you know, they've been through all sorts of things. And in some ways, uh, that makes it easier. Um, I don't have to uh, worry as much about, God, is, is this young kid um, going to misinterpret what I'm saying? I mean, often, they're at least people who allow themselves to develop wisdom with old age, uh, it, it allows it to be much easier to work with them in my experience. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That reminds me of my dear uncle Leo, uh -huh. uh, who, who died, I think maybe 10 years or so ago, or more, actually more. Uh -huh. um, and as an adult, I asked him, I said, uh, how did you get to be so wise? Uh -huh. And his response was, I've lived longer than you and I've made more mistakes. <laughs> yeah. It was extraordinary. Yes, that is extraordinary. It was absolutely extraordinary. Yeah. So one other question is, is can you go too fast in therapy and what are the indications, indicators for progressing too fast? And you always have to clear tension in the eyes and forehead first. Are we talking about treating the elderly or treating in general? I, it sounds like treating in general. Yeah. Well, I have a current patient who wants to move faster. Uh -huh. He absolutely wants to move faster. What does this reflect? What does this reflect? His tendency to push. Right. And pushing takes him out of touch with himself. Mm -hmm. And that's his primary difficulty, mm -hmm. being able to just stay with what's happening in the moment. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, no, that's my experience with many patients. They either get ahead of themselves or they hold back and are behind themselves. But just staying, having people stay right where they are, what they're feeling is yes. really what's crucial. Yeah. And it's challenging for them. Yes. Well, um, there was another question that, that I think you've addressed or alluded to, I think, with the first patient, but maybe to go into it a little bit more. Uh, if the patient has a medical illness, how does it affect the treatment? Yeah, that's an excellent question. Uh, and because I'm a physician, uh, I'm, I'm actually a physician first, mm -hmm. uh, I've had not only medical training 
uh, in, in medical school and a medical internship. But me personally, I've moonlighted in a medical ER for three or four years, for actually four years. Mm. So not only was I a good student in medical school, but I also had very practical experience working with the medically ill. Interestingly, I used to also make house calls as a psychiatrist. Mm. And, and in a large percentage of these patients, because I was asked to see them for so-called psychiatric symptoms, on the spot, I made a medical diagnosis mm. because mm -hmm. their psychiatric symptoms were determined by a medical illness. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. But in terms of just uh, treating patients in, in, you know, in, in my office, it's crucial that I know what's going on medically uh, uh, so that I can tailor the treatment right. to, uh, to, to, to their medical condition. For example, uh, mm -hmm. somebody who has high blood pressure mm -hmm. or asthma, but let's take high blood pressure. You know, there's feeling a lot of feeling that's stuck in the chest. Mm -hmm. And I can help uh, uh, alleviate the high blood pressure by working on the neck, the jaw, and, and the chest. And it's remarkable if caught early enough before there's actual changes in the, in the tissues and in the anatomy, mm -hmm. I can alleviate uh, 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 illness. Mm -hmm. that's, that's not true for every case. But in many cases, I can. Yeah, yeah. No, that my my sense is that we we are uh, have a, a great approach for treating uh, emotional illnesses, but and and amazing understanding of physical illnesses, but not yet quite the same uh, right. technical uh, knowledge about how to treat them. But yeah, I, yeah, I I'm not. The, you, you can't separate the emotions from the body. I mean, that's, that's, that's one of the essences of medical organ therapy. Yes. And to consider the effect of armor. Right. And that can, that armor, chronic armor can produce uh, physical illness. Yeah. Symptoms of physical illness. Yeah. 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 No, you, you just reminded me of, uh, one of my cases, probably one, one of my older cases also, but a woman whose husband died, she re remarried and um, uh, dropped out of therapy for a bit. But then she came back with terrible skin rashes, eczema, um, uh, a moon face from being on steroids for treatment of that. And uh, I knew her well enough from earlier to know that she had a tendency to literally have conversion physiological symptoms. And I thought this was probably an hysterical symptom, even though it clearly was, was physical. And once we identified that her new husband was getting under her skin, literally in about uh, a week, the skin problem cleared up. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. you know, that connection between, and, and you know, none of the doctors um, were trained in the old fashioned understanding of hysteria and yeah. treated mechanically with medications. So, yeah. yeah. So, um, and anything uh, else you want to add um, that you'd like to leave the audience with about uh, working with the elderly? I mean, this has been a wonderful uh, presentation and to hear your, your connection with these patients, your, 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 your genuine uh, love for them and caring for them. It's, it's just great to, to see Dr. Chavis. Yeah. 
I can reiterate what I said in the very beginning, mm -hmm. that these patients and their treatment uh, illustrate what is fundamental to medical organ therapy, that uh, emotional contact and its depth and a knowledge of human armor and how it affects the individual uh, informs uh, my treatment of these elderly uh, patients that allows them to lead a fuller life even in the later stages, or the later years of, the, of their lives. Yeah, I think that's so important is, you know, increasing someone's satisfaction. It doesn't matter what point in, of life they're in. Yes. Uh, you have done a tremendous service to them if you've done that. Yes. Yeah. All right, well, thank you very much, Dr. Chaver. It's been a, a wonderful presentation, and um, I'm glad that we've had a chance to talk again together. So. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Chris. Thank you. How do you feel after listening to these vignettes? What do you think? Two things stand out for me. One was just how well Dr. Chavis was able to see his patients and what they needed. He intuitively grasped when a patient needed humor to see themselves better, but also how it could interfere with him staying with a patient's serious deep feelings, such as those that come with facing the end of life. The second aspect that stands out for me was just how much Dr. Chavis enjoys working with his patients. The all too common complaint of physician burnout is nowhere to be found. It's wonderful to see an experienced older doctor working with patients young and old enjoying his work. We're interested in your questions and comments, and I would love to hear your feedback. Send an email to aco at orgonomy.org, and you can leave a rating on Apple Podcasts, Amazon's Audible, and Spotify. The best way to help the ACO spread its knowledge is by letting others know about us. I hope you'll share this podcast with your friends and family and let them know about our work. You can connect with us at orgonomy.org or a different kind of psychiatry.com. I'm Dr. Chris Burrett. Thank you for listening to the A Different Kind of Psychiatry podcast with the ACO. Since 1968, the psychiatrists affiliated with the American College of Orgonomy have been helping patients discover greater satisfaction, health, and overall well-being in their lives. Whether patients suffer with mental illness, struggle with addiction, or feel unsatisfied with their work lives or relationships, Medical Orgone Therapy, as practiced by the physicians at the ACO, offers a way forward, often without the use of medication.